Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Minnesota. Kristen Lyerly in OBGYN is on the Fox River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die? Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead. I'm Kristen Lyerly. And I'm Pat Wrightlow. And on the show this week, we are one step closer to finding out who's actually going to be on the ballot for the next election because an important deadline has just passed. We'll review a couple of the races that are coming up that haven't received very much attention, but they are still very extreme. They are still very important to Wisconsin. And as for the races that are getting a lot of attention, it sure seems clear what one party strategy is going to involve. And so we're going to uh, propose that maybe having cops in uniform in partisan political ads is something that either needs to go away or it needs to become something that makes voters question a candidate's actual motivations. But first, Kirk is going to explain why you're just going to hear the three of us yammering for the next hour <laughs> rather than talking to any friendly people. So, Where are the so guests, Pat, Kirk? So, Pat... You know, it's it's always my job to get the guests, and it's your job to make the show flow smoothly and make sure that we uh, we 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 talk about the right things at the right time. So, I failed this week miserably. <laughs> I Pat. I ran out of time, Pat. Like I I am putting a tap room together in Monaco right now, and I'm knee deep in beer and T-shirts. And I'm dealing with the Obnom, which is like this is my all-inclusive term for the old boys network of Monaco. And it's quite a it's quite something. So I failed to get guests, but you know what? We can do this because because Kristen likes to talk a lot. <laughs> I love that you're knee deep in beer and t-shirts. It sounds like college, and you kind of look like college with the hat. So let's That's just go true. with that theme. I don't even have a comb for the show tonight because <laughs> Because I'm so bedraggled from this thing, so I had to put a hat on because my hair doesn't is all messed up. So no, I, I don't have any doubt. And and Kristen was equally encouraging that yes, there. Actually, you when we talked about what all is out there, I responded with a top ten list. There are ten different topics we could talk about, and we'll get into many of them. Although now I want to hear more about Kristen and college, given what. <laughs> oh no. And oh that, no, Pat! That doesn't, that doesn't even get us to medical school. But in the in the two minutes we've got before break, Kirk, I know we're going to talk more about the tap room afterwards. But uh, any, anything else you want to say about uh, the work that you've got to do to get that done? You want to preview what's coming up later in the show? Yeah. So the preview of what's coming up the show is is we I have a building and I've been building it. And it's cr the town of Manaqua, actually the town board chairman, I call him the Obnom King, King of the Obnom, has really put up, he, it's like a moving scale of things that are required of me in order to open this building. And it's the most ridiculous small town provincial stuff I've ever dealt with in my life. All right. It, it, it does remind me of, uh, yeah, you know, the, well, never mind. I will. Boss Hog, the Dukes of Hazard. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, let's go. It's, it's, it's something <laughs> like that. So there, we've taken up one of the minutes, which leaves us one minute now for Kristen to talk about med school parties. Before <laughs> oh, what no. happens at med school parties stays at med school parties, Pat. Uh, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, <laughs> look, one of the things that we're going to get into in, in just a bit here is uh, about the various uh, election campaigns that you're going to be hearing about. And obviously, if you're if you're listening 
to this fine program. Uh, we are in your debt, but we also try to uh, you know inform you on various political goings on up north and across the state. And since every one of us has been on the ballot for a race up north at some point or another, we want to talk a bit more about the process and about the races because the governor's race and the U.S. Senate race, they're going to get plenty of attention and plenty of money, by the way. Uh, But there are some other critical races as well as your local lawmakers and and so forth. So we're going to talk a bit about that before we get into uh, some more controversial topics about some of the big races and the people making the endorsements. And uh, then more from the adventures of Kirk building a tap room. All that and more coming up next. You're up north. Like a fool, I went and stayed too long. I'm wondering if your love's still strong. Ooh, baby. All right. Welcome back to the Up North podcast. I don't know, Kirk. Oh, we had two songs that we were going to play, and both of them didn't work. What was the first one was uh, Running on Empty. By Jackson Brown, right? By Jackson Brown was your Uh suggestion. Then Kristen picked, what did you pick, Kristen? Would I lie to you? No. Oh, yeah. That's the next one. That's the next one. Oh, sorry. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Stevie Wonder, yeah. We had both of them because if politicians are trying to get those signatures in, Mm -hmm. they're running on empty. And they're signing, sealing, and delivering them to the Wisconsin Elections Commission. So we just forgot to play that song. But that's, but that's what a, we're going. That's a great segue because we're going to talk about people who just filed to get on the ballot for the state legislature and for other races. And I think a lot of people don't really understand how complicated it is to get on the ballot. You don't just get to say, hey, I'm in, I want to run. I mean, I guess if you want to just be a write-in, you could do that. But if you want to file as an official candidate to get your name on the ballot, you have to collect a bunch of signatures. So 200 signatures for assembly. I think it's 400 for Senate, Mm -hmm. uh, up to 2,000 signatures for a statewide office. So until you collect those signatures and they are validated and verified, and then you have to file some other paperwork, that's how you get on the ballot. And today is the day when people had to get their signatures turned in and verified. And we now will know who will officially be running in August for the primaries and then November. And you know what I completely forgot about uh, from from a past uh, filing deadline. (laughs) I saw somebody put on Twitter. Now, remember, five o'clock means five o'clock because remember when the Trump people were going to put that fake candidate on the ballot and he turned his signatures in like at five Oh one or five o'clock and, and so many seconds. So you, you mean would, Kanye? Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> you make headline, which, which is going to take us to a, a different topic about, you know, collecting signatures and, you know, why you shouldn't trust anybody but yourself, but let's stick with the deadline. The, the reason that this is important is that, uh, again, there's a lot of people who say they're running for office. They will make an announcement. I'm running for such and such. But until they turn in those signatures and are officially on the ballot, they're not really running. And it does happen from time to time that people don't get enough signatures or, or there's other problems that I'll, I'll get to. But we wanted to talk a bit about the experience, which um, I was helping uh, uh, Representative Jody Emerson from Eau Claire uh, grab a couple of signatures for uh, somebody in the 67th Assembly District uh, up in my neighborhood along with Lake Wasota yesterday. And as we were chatting about it, you know, knocking on doors is uh, people don't believe you, you know, that, but if, if you're already running for office anyway, it is by and large one of the most enjoyable 
parts of running for office. It does have its moments that are a bit more colorful, but by and large, especially when you're collecting signatures, because you're not asking people for their vote. Signing a nominating petition doesn't mean that you're going to vote for that person. It just says, here, I'll give you my signature so that you can get on the ballot. I may or may not vote for you, but at least you can get on. Uh, Kristen, was was the the, the experience your, your first time, uh, you know, an enjoyable one trying to get on the ballot? Well, for Kirk and I both, it was during COVID. So it was early in COVID. So we really struggled to get enough signatures because we really couldn't go door to door. We had a lot of people who were promoting us in their own inner circles and the party was helping us out. There was a lot of mailing that was happening. So it was a really different time. This time I've spent time in Northeastern Wisconsin helping other candidates get on the ballot. And I think this is a more traditional experience and it has been a pleasure, but it's surprising to me how few people really understand what the nomination signatures mean and how reluctant people are sometimes to put their name down on a piece of paper. They're very suspicious. Yeah, Um, it was the same for me. I mean, I just had a lot of help from the United County Democratic Party. Uh, who who kind of emailed each other and emailed their friends and everybody kind of like printed out the forms online and and you know and signed them. So um, I did I did fail one time to get enough signatures. I was so mad at my uh, county board for trying to find me for my Biden sign that I decided I was going to run while on vacation in Costa Rica. And so I called up a bunch of people like, can you guys sign my forms for me? And I don't think anybody really want, thought I was really, really serious. So I actually failed to turn in all of like all of 20 signatures to run for my town board. I didn't even get 20. So uh, I've been on the other side of that coin, too. But, but I, I, I also have gotten messages from you while you've been uh, on a beach. And I wouldn't take those messages seriously either. Kurt. So, you know, I would not too much. It did happen um, within the past year or two, uh, the last Milwaukee County executive race. A couple of candidates did not get on the ballot because in part they relied on uh, an outside party, an outside firm to gather the signatures for them. And they, those companies failed somewhere along the line, either didn't get enough signatures or they, you know, forged or copied signatures or they filled out the form so sloppily. And a lot of folks don't know this because there's been so much other news in Wisconsin and nationally, but the big story in Michigan last week was that well, let me back up. There were going to be 10 Republicans running for governor in Michigan. The, the incumbent, uh, uh, Christy, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer um, a Democrat, 10 different Republicans said, I'm running against her. Five of them got kicked off the ballot because they all used one of the same services. And when you look at the sheets, you can see they, it was the same person's handwriting all the way down, filling in names and addresses because they didn't, you know, do the work themselves. They farmed it out and nobody thinks about nominating petitions until you fail at it. (laughs) It is such a joy though, like you said earlier, Pat, to just walk around and talk to people and just tell them why you're running and what this means to you. And even in this hyper-partisan world that we live in right now, you get to have these little one-on-one conversations that bring it back to why you wanted to run in the first place and why it's important to step up. So now that we've talked about getting these signatures, uh, I like what Pat kind of led up with. Some of these uh, races, statewide races especially, aren't getting a lot of attention. And I think the one that's getting the least amount of attention that actually might matter the most in the state is 
something we've never cared about before. And that's the secretary of state race, because basically they put this dude in a, in the basement for the last 30 years, but now they want to use it to suppress votes. Pat, what's going on with this? Well, Doug LaFollette has been the uh, Wisconsin secretary of state for what is it? 44 of the past 48 years or, or something like that. Um, he is a, he is a distant cousin to, to fighting Bob LaFollette. So that name alone you know, has taken him through election after election, even in big Republican years. And he says he's going to run once again for Secretary of State. A long time ago, uh, Republicans, uh, when they were in power, stripped away most of the Secretary of State's powers, basically stripped away his office. He has to have an office. You have to have one. It's in the Constitution. But he basically is by himself in a basement office and does almost nothing. There's like one or two minor duties. Secretary of State used to be a very big, important office, um, not only at the state level, but at the, at the national level. The Secretary of State, once upon a time, was basically seen as the, the second in command, not, not the vice president. Well, what you're seeing in states uh, across the country now is Republicans who wanted to diminish the state Secretary of State's office suddenly wanted to have power again because in something that would have been unheard of and disqualifying for all of our lives up until now, you have candidates that are openly trying to tamper with elections, starting with Trump's big lie and continuing into Wisconsin Republicans who have said they want to abolish the Wisconsin Elections Commission and give more power either to legislators or to the Secretary of State. You had Senator Ron Johnson telling state legislators they should basically ignore the Wisconsin Elections Commission, at least in the federal races, and do things that they want to do. There's nothing Democratic, small d, about that. And so that Secretary of State's race is going to be important. And before we even get to the fall race with somebody against a Republican, Doug LaFollette is being primaried by another Democrat. Uh, at least we think so. Again, I have to see if the petition signatures got turned in. But there, there, there may very well be a Democratic primary for Secretary of State that could keep voters uh, occupied in uh, you know the last couple of weeks of July, leading up to that August 9th primary, Kirk. So, I mean, this is important because we, I mean, we were our eyes were glued to the television when Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State in Georgia, was called by Donald Trump and. And we heard the 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 audio, and and he said, "Aren't you going to just make sure?" I need you to find, you know. <laughs> I need you to find a few votes a, for me. Specific number of votes. I mean, it was just so corrupt. Yeah. So that happened in Georgia. So you know, they stripped the power away from LaFollette because his name is LaFollette. He's a Democrat, and they know they can't mess with him. But if they get a Republican into the Secretary of State's office and they transfer all of the power for the election power, which is kind of supposed to be with the Secretary of State uh, to handle elections in a state, um, doesn't it's if they make put that back to Wisconsin, you have a very partisan kind of like like Trump culty uh, Republican in that office. Oh, my gosh, we're going to we're in for a lot of problems. Kristen, what do you think? Well, it seems like they're doing that at every level. I mean, it's Secretary of State, it's the judicial, it's they wanted to get rid of the treasurer's office in Wisconsin and Sarah Godlewski was elected and she's really tried to, you know, pump it up a little bit and make it more relevant, but they're trying to get in there as well. It's every single office. It's a full frontal attack on our democracy and we have to pay attention everywhere. 
Why did they try to get rid of the treasurer's office, Pat? Uh, well, again, it was just one more position that that they wanted to put the power in the hands of the legislature itself. It was a complete attack on the division of government. You know, the three branches of government, uh, yeah. separation of powers. Uh, they gerrymandered the state for 10 years, so they might as well give themselves all the power. They wanted to give themselves all the power. They took some away even from the governor's office, you know, after Scott Walker lost and before Tony Evers came in. So, yes, yeah, so we've talked about the races that aren't getting as much attention, but should. Secretary of State is one. Kristen's taken us to the next one, which is the treasurer's office, uh, with, again, Sarah Godlewski having helped save the office and then winning the office, is now stepping away from that office as one of the Democratic candidates for U.S. Senate to run against Ron Johnson, which takes us to the third race we want to talk about, and that's for lieutenant governor, where Mandela Barnes is also walking away from that office to be one of the Democratic candidates for U.S. Senate, hoping to take on Ron Johnson. So you have the state treasurer and the lieutenant governor in there, along with um, you know Alex Lazary and Tom Nelson, the Outagamie County executive. So a very busy Democratic primary that we're going to be talking much more about closer to August 9th. But it does mean that these these other state offices, Tony Evers does not know who his running mate is this fall because we have to see who yeah, files. But, and but then honestly, does the lieutenant governor ever do anything, though? Let's be honest. Well, but then I mean, let's, let's be honest. A, a lieutenant governor can be a drag, you know, yeah. if, 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 if they if, make stupid, if they say stupid stuff. Right. And is completely out of the control of the person at the top of the ticket. Doesn't matter if it's Tony Evers or, or who it is. They have no say over that, you know, whatsoever. And so. Right now, the person who's going to be who would be next in line to become governor if something happened with Tony Evers is somebody we have no idea who that is. So once we find out what that field is like, we're going to be talking about that from now till August 9th, because, again, we want people showing up for the primary because primary elections, you know, primary election in the summertime does not get good turnout. So every vote is going to matter, especially in races like this, especially secretary of state. You know, that could really play a big role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, that running mate position might be the most important thing that we can do to boost Governor Evers by giving him a strong running mate that gets people excited and gets people out to the polls. Now, Pat, in our in our neck of the woods, I mean, I know what's going on in, uh, you know, up north. Uh, you know what's going up there is what are the exciting races? Uh, are there any primaries for Democrats uh, in Probably not, because we only got a couple of them up here, right? Jody, <laughs> Jeff <mean>, Smith, <laughs> right? You've got you know Jody Emerson in, in, in for state assembly, Jeff Smith uh, for state senate in, in the Eau Claire area. Um, you know, Katrina but, Shanklin's the only one in central and northern Wisconsin. And, and we talked to Kelly Westland recently, yeah. running yeah. for state senate in in Janet Bewley's seat. Um, the only primaries I was aware of. Kristen's raising her hand. I, I, I should we, we're, we're, we're avoiding the stretch of the <laughs> state. He's new to us in the eighth congressional radio. There's so much drama that's happening in Northeastern Wisconsin. And I just yeah. can't wait talk, to talk we'll, about it, but it's talk not to us about the drama. All right. We've established that it's quiet in Northern and Western Wisconsin. Here's now as Northeast Wisconsin correspondent, Kristen Lyerly. Kristen. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to tell you that Northeastern Wisconsin is going to be very, very exciting. Not in August, but definitely in November when Andrea Gage, Mike, an attorney from De Pere is taking on none other than uh, Andre Jacques. 
Senator Andre Jacques, the person who was hospitalized for COVID, the COVID denier, was intubated for a month and then came out of it and then said, well, the problem isn't about vaccines, it's about the lack of healthcare workers. So we're taking him down. And then I couldn't be more <laughs> excited about Renee Gash, who is running against Shay Sortwell. And if you know one thing about Shay Sortwell, it's that he's got some issues. Lots of issues. Even the Republicans don't like Shea Sartwell. He, uh, there was an, a child abuse investigation that was recently uncovered in the Press Gazette. There are some really fundamental problems with Shea. So that is going to be a very exciting race. Plus, we've got Jane Benson running against Elijah Benke up in the 89th. We've got Christina Shelton holding on to her spot in the middle of Green Bay. We've got Joey Van Derzen, who is running for the open seat that Jim Steinecke is vacating. I mean, it is getting so exciting around here. Northeastern Wisconsin is a hot spot oh man wait somebody's somebody really put us to shame in terms of oh God. on the pulse now of i i can't not talk about my guy primarying tom tiffany now that now that she put me to shame so ty cornelius <laughs> everybody look at him he's running as a republican he's a he is a republican but he's a he's a he, he's he's a moderate republican which is an extinct animal at the moment <laughs> so when we come back, we will continue on with campaigns, but we're going to talk about how election campaigns aren't what they used to be uh, in so many different ways. And as a result, putting sheriffs and cops in partisan campaign commercials might be something we need to question from now on. We'll explore that more next. You're up north. To let me die. Welcome back to the cabin. This is the Up North Podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow along with Kirk Bankstead. And Kristen Lyerly, I think, was still talking as we were going into commercial telling us about candidates. Yes, uh, yes, I forgot about Kristen Elfheim, who's Laura. running for Roger Roth's open seat in Appleton. There's so much going on in northeastern Wisconsin. Kirk, do you know anything that's happening in no. Wisconsin right now? No. Okay, candidates? Okay, 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 Kristen, Kristen, yes. uh, have yes. another swig of your Eversale and, uh, and, uh, and relax a little bit. We, we've moved to the next segment, so we have to talk about something else. <laughs> Thank <laughs> so, you. So, okay. So, uh, this is fun. This is, we're having more fun. So Kristen brings a whole different couple, <laughs> couple people to the show, Pat. I kind of love it. It's a different scenario, but, um, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Ron Johnson a second, because he posted, uh, something on, on Twitter that I saw a couple days ago. And Kristen reminded me of it today. He has developed a separate website called wisfacts.com and the headline of this thing says like something like it's all about the truth or whatever right Kristen what does it say uh, I'll tell you exactly what it says uh just the truth just the it's truth. really big so, just the truth just think about with this guy that we know we 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 we've talked in the last in last week we've talked to a Republican operative that that said that Ron Johnson admitted that he was lying about the election uh, we, Ron Johnson lies about everything, vaccines, he about... Uh, well, and uh, the vaccine one, we just pointed out again on Tuesday that over the weekend that Ron Johnson again lied on Twitter over the weekend, pointing to a database 
and claiming that that database shows the COVID vaccine, you know, causes harm when that is not what it is. Kristen, help me with it. It's the vaccine adverse effect reporting system, right? The adverse event reporting system. So VAERS is what it's called. And it's a great reporting system. Anybody can report an adverse effect. So if you, anybody can report anything. So if you got a toothache after you got your vaccine, if you felt like you just were not quite yourself after you got your vaccine, you could report anything. And then they take all of that collective data and they weed through it to figure out what the serious adverse effects are. And that's how they do their continuing studying on vaccines. And to prove that uh, one person, a reporter or a blogger put in a reading that the vaccine turned him into the incredible Hulk. And if you look on the database, it's there. So don't think of it as like the, the end result of science. It is literally the very beginning of taking in all data truthful and garbage. It is basically a big answering machine where everybody's leaving messages and then doctors and scientists pour through this to, to spot actual trends, but to use the raw numbers is, is not just reckless or irresponsible. It frankly should be criminal. It's lying. It's It's lying. lying. And it's wonderful that everybody can write. I'm in the incredible Hulk in it. Obviously you're not supposed to do that, but that's how science, that's how you are able to spot trends is that you don't limit people's freedom to be able to say whatever the heck they want to say. Um, so turning back to his website, he is now creating a closed circuit where he is telling his lies or what he calls his version of the truth. I'm sorry, and, just the truth. And you can't. So now... <laughs> Nobody can say that he's lying on his own website because they've been saying that on Twitter for the last two, last 12 years. They're like, Ron, you're lying again. Ron, you're lying again. So now he can shut that all off. And what that is, is uh, it's it's that whole, what, what's it? What's the, psycholo- uh, the psycho- psychological thing? I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's misleading. I mean, it's repeating. It's like, we know Ron lies. So he's going to say, everybody else is lying about me and then it confuses the electorate and then everybody's mm-hmm. like well we just can't believe anybody because everyone else is saying we, uh, we're lying and so now we're not going to vote well that's, that's that's their total strategy i mean that's what they do on conservative talk radio all the time tucker carlson's entire career is based on that right and and it gets to one of my beefs and why i helped with some other people to start up north news it is too many newsrooms out there were too afraid. They were pulling their punches that when somebody is lying, when you can see it, when you know it, you say so. So I shared some of the national headlines in our newsletter this week that basically, you know, the national outlets were calling out Ron Johnson for lying about the vaccine. But then you pull up one of the local in-state headlines and it's Ron Johnson holds public forum where people uh, talk about their problems with the vaccine. And it had nothing in there whatsoever correcting the record because basically they were acting as stenographers. They were going just repeating what Johnson says. And if that's what, you know, responsible outlets are, are, are doing and doing wrong, then we can't count on them to call out lies. And so you have to yeah. find other people that will. Mm-hmm. We're, we're unfortunately Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin uh, media is I mean I I ha- I've only lived here now again after leaving since you know since high school I've lived here now for eight years I guess and 
Uh, so I don't, maybe there, it was better, but I, it's been always like, I need to rely on the New York times and the Washington post. Um, I can't rely on the Milwaukee journal Sentinel or the, or the state journal because, because either they have inexperienced journalists or they're not willing. The only time that I ever was proud of the Milwaukee journal Sentinel was when they wrote that editorial on like January 7th that said, Johnson, Fitzgerald, and Tiffany should resign because they were a part of the insurrection. I, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, finally, somebody had a had some spine at that paper. I, I will I will say that I'm certainly not at your level of that with with some of the some of the newspaper reporters there. I do know that there have been times where I have, you know, gone on Twitter to take issue and you know say, you guys are pulling your punches, you know, call it what it is. Um, and sometimes they push back and, you know, sometimes they don't. And I, I think they might begrudgingly, you know, agree that they played that story too safe. But to get back to what Johnson's doing, it is that closed loop of communication, which, you know, uh, uh, again, a lot of the population does not appreciate until you're accidentally exposed to it. You know, my, my wife and I were uh, at, a, at a bar restaurant a couple of nights back where, you know, uh, it was a right-wing radio station and one of the commercials came on and it was a, it was a, a, a reality I did not recognize, but it is the reality for folks who simply want to believe taking us into our next topic here that for example, crime is rampant that, you know, the, the, the riots in Kenosha are happening every night somewhere in Wisconsin. There's something that you need to be afraid of. And it's why, uh, for a lot of these campaigns, uh, over the years, one of the endorsements that was coveted by candidates was, say, the local sheriff or many sheriffs or you know other other people in law enforcement. I never understood that about people running for state attorney general. They always go off on the you know I'm going to be tough on crime. Do you not know what a state attorney general does? They they are not investigating you know murders or anything like that. They're they're working on a lot of things that uh, again are at the state government level, but. In running for an election, uh, you know, you 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 tout out uh, the people that are going to say that you're tough on crime for you know what little that you have to do with it, and that takes us specifically to what Rebecca Cleefish uh, did this week in promoting a new commercial. And one of the people that I recognized in there was Racine County Sheriff Christopher Schalling, uh, and that is the same Schmalling who very publicly announced a couple years back that he was not going to enforce. COVID safety measures because he personally didn't agree with them. This is the same sheriff who was grandstanding about having members of the Wisconsin elections commission charged with crimes for what they were doing to try to help voters vote safely. And, you know, other than maybe laying the groundwork to run for office himself someday in some other capacity as a Republican, his conduct raises some real concerns. And, and, you know, this, this is something where we know people can can uh, endorse. Sheriffs can make endorsements. And there have been races in the past um, in Wisconsin where people say, why is that sheriff in uniform endorsing? And they say, well, I can. You know, I'm a Republican. I'm a, I'm a constitutional officer, and I can do that. Yeah, you can do that, but maybe you shouldn't. And, and let me explain a few reasons why, and then I, I want Kristen and Kirk to weigh in. We have issues now where that, that should make partisan politics toxic to a potential sheriff who doesn't want to be a politician. Let's talk first about, you know, the systemic bias that's in law enforcement. Um, if you see a sheriff in an ad, do you think that they will be, that it's, that they are endorsing somebody who might advocate, say, shooting demonstrators? 
or when it comes to gun safety, will this sheriff unilaterally decide not to enforce gun laws the same way that, you know, Schmalling did with COVID safety rules? What about books? You have people now talking about banning books about with LGBTQ content and other things. Are, are we talking about sheriffs now who are going to arrest the school librarian? And then, of course, the last one is election security. If you've got a sheriff who wants to buy into the big lie and says, well, we're not really sure. So I'm, I'm supporting this person who supports the big lie. How much closer are we to law enforcement intimidating voters by their very presence near election polling places? For these reasons and more, Kirk and Kristen, I would strongly suggest that either people in law enforcement should stay back from these commercial endorsements and candidate endorsements, and or voters should look at them now and say, maybe I should second guess that person if they're being endorsed. So my, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% here, Pat, because when I, and I still don't understand, you know, I've been, I've, I have, a, I'm on a personal mission to hold people accountable for, for what happened on January 6th. But, but even before that, when all of the sheriffs, I mean, it wasn't just Schmalling, it was my sheriff in, in Minocqua. Uh, it was, they, they banded together. It was like 70 of them when Evers, uh, uh, Evers had his mask mandate. There was this letter that was written by one person that they all put out separately all throughout the state of Wisconsin saying, we will not enforce this. And I still, to, to this day, I was like, why didn't Evers, why wasn't there a little bit of, you know, accountability there? Like, you can't not do what your governor says that you need to do. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, like, I think, I mean, I've, I've called for my sheriff to be fired because of that. Nothing happened, but because nothing happened, how are we to know when they're, you know, this like, like everything else, like January 6th might happen if we don't hold the people that did this accountable. If we don't hold sheriffs accountable for saying screw you evers about the vaccine or about the uh, the mask mandate then yeah what else might they say what else might they do we kristen, can't trust I, them anymore kristen i know this you know it sounds like i'm painting you know all law enforcement with a broad brush which is not what i'm intending to do here but the the conditions that we have in politics right now i, I would think should make some people think twice about this even even the very good ones might want to say I don't know. I don't know about this. Well, I am deeply invested, I would say, in law enforcement. I mean, my partner is a police officer. Mm -hmm. So we have this discussion on a regular basis. And I have to say that most of his colleagues want to stay as far away from politics mm -hmm. as possible. But there are definitely those leaders, whether they're chiefs or sheriffs or union leaders, who do like to dabble in that. And I think it's really complicated. And when you look at where a lot of these law enforcement officers lie and where their allegiances are with the Republican Party, it's very confusing to me because the Republicans have consistently failed them. They have defunded the police. I mean, really, they're shouting that Democrats want to defund the police and they have taken so much money away from public safety in Wisconsin in the last 10 years that it's quiet, but you wouldn't believe the equipment that people are using, that police officers are using right now, because they're not actually being supported by that side of the aisle, which they think best represents them. And, you know, I think the thing that most 
The most glaring example, and Ron Johnson has this on his Truthiness website too. He says 73 police officers lost their lives in the line of duty in 2021. When you click on the citation, by the way, it goes nowhere. Like it's a dead citation, like most of them on on his website, but the website is just completely (laughs) broken. But he says it's related to the hostility. This is a quote related to the hostility toward law enforcement promoted by leaders of the Democrat Party and the radical left. So I looked this up. Truthiness. Truthiness. So I looked this up. And if you go to the officer down memorial page, which catalogs all of the officers who have died uh, in the line of duty, and you look at 2021, 625 officers died in the line of duty in 2021. 446 of them, that's 71%, died of what? COVID. They They died died of COVID. They died of COVID. It sounded like they were all, you know, They died of COVID, and that is exactly what they're pushing back on. So there is so much nonsense that's happening here. Wait, wait, wait. They died of COVID, but but many of them refused to get vaccinated. Right. I remember New York City, like half of them threatened to quit because the police union, which is very Republican, said, we're not going to let you do this to us. We're all going to quit en masse if you force us to get vaccinated. And you're telling me most of the deaths last year were from COVID? From 71%. And there are numerous examples of people who said, I'm not getting vaccinated. And then days before their retirement ceremony, they died of COVID. I mean, this is actually a, a huge tragedy. But because we're so divided and because we're such finger pointers right now and we're the radical liberals and we're telling people to get vaccines, people are not getting vaccines and they're dying because of it. And it's as just, re- it's nonsensical. You would never know that from the commercials you're going to see from the gubernatorial and the attorney general candidates that want to say, you know, crime is running rampant, crime, crime, crime. But exactly what crime? I mean, is, is Rebecca Cleefish going to call out Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, for what he did? And apparently that's not, that's not crime. How about the fake electors, the Wait, fraudulent electors? Are, Pat, are, isn't crime down and under, yes. under Evers than it was down. under... Right. So it's, it's one of the most, it's a fact that you can look up, but again, facts are not the same thing as truth because on Ron Johnson's website, what is it? What is it about the truth? Nothing truthiness. but truthiness. Nothing but truthiness. <laughs> Nothing but truth. Just the truth. <laughs> when we come back, Kirk Bankstead is going to give us the truth about uh, his summer project and one of the one of his new personal heroes in helping make his summer project work. All that and more coming up next. You're up north. Member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Dolly Parton, with two doors down, as we will explain in just a moment. But first, thanks as always to our radio hosts. And by the way, if you're watching the, the video version of this, um, Devil Radio is in their new studio in Madison, and I happen to be down in Madison this week, so I thought I'd stop by and see the place, and uh, it's looking pretty nice. So thanks to uh, Devil Radio 92.7, the Shaw 101 FM, WAUK 540 AM. You can use the Devil Radio app to catch the show anytime. The podcast version of the show can be found in all the usual spots or at upnorthpodcast.com. A video version, uh, the aforementioned video version is on the Facebook page of Kirk's Monaco Brewing Company and on YouTube. And... You can find my work every day at upnorthnewswi.com or uh, go to social media and search for Up North News WI. Yes. And uh, as I enjoy my 
Evers Ale from Minocqua Brewing Company. And I've already put in a plug when you guys weren't listening to Kirk about we need something like a call, call me by. I don't know. I haven't thought about it, but we need a Josh call, like themed beer. And, and I'm sure that that's somewhere in your Rolodex. But Kirk, what's going on with Minocqua Brewing Company? All right. So I wanted to tell this story because I think everybody up north is going to like this story. So the background is I don't want to talk about it too long because oh, we want to end on a high note. But uh, I've been try. I bought this tap room, and uh, the town board made me put in a parking lot. And uh, is that a typical rule? Do, do does every no, business put in no? A like like Monaco Monaco Wisconsin's tiny. Uh, uh-huh. Most of the businesses on the little island of Monaco do not have parking lots. But you have to. But but they made me put one in. Okay, and go so, on. And so because you know the thaw like like the ground didn't thaw until like early April. Uh, all construction projects are are like way backed up throughout the state of Wisconsin. We can't, we couldn't finish our parking lot, but we could have a building permit guy say that we're ready to open. So I've asked the town to like, okay, I'll finish the parking lot, but can we at least open because it's a tourism time now? They said, no, they, everything has to be completed to the, to the T. So I found a guy two doors down, like Dolly part, Tardy Parton said, who, who is 83 years old. And he rented me his office space so that we could open and sell our beer and our merch. And when I met the guy, this is what he, this is the story he told me. He went to UW Marathon a year after Dave Obie, which is a two year school. Dave Obie transferred from UW Marathon to UW Madison. And this guy transferred, did the same thing a year later. These guys were bosom buddies. He, uh, he was the president of the Young Dems of the University of Wisconsin Madison uh, during the '60s, probably the most turbulent time like that UW Madison's ever had. And he started doing doors for David Obie's first assembly race, like a state assembly race. So this guy happened to be two doors down. He's 83 years old, and he said, "Kirk, I'm going to help you because Democrats need to help each other, and you're getting a raw deal by the town." And I couldn't believe this guy's like a living legend and he's two doors down from me. So that's my story. I thought people would like him. Yes, and Democrats need to help each other. And we are all around. You just don't know us because we're quietly nice. <laughs> it's true. And so so this is going to open. When's the place two doors down going to open? Friday. So Friday. We're, unless the town tries to pull some other shenanigans on us. But mm-hmm. uh, we are, you know, so yeah, we had about 120 cases of beer delivered today that I had to like get into this place. We're furiously putting like t-shirts and cubby holes and, and like labeling them. So again, yeah. college memories. <laughs> so I'm, I, that's why I didn't get a guess because we're doing just busy work. I need like, I need like tons of kids right now, but you know, I just like sprang this, like just all happened within the last three days as we got this new office and are able to open. So I'm, I'm overjoyed, but I'm tired. Maybe well, if you had offered free beer, I think tons of kids would have shown up. Out of yeah, the but then he would have gotten in trouble with the Obnom. So yeah, we have to mm. be careful about that. Let's end on this note then, because you've put, you put stuff up on, on your uh, Facebook page about this. And we earlier in the show talked about how knocking on doors is sometimes some of the most rewarding communication that you can have. And that face-to-face thing, you can't, you can't um, replace that, but you can online. Not every conversation is toxic. Not everything is a flame war. Not every not every person is a troll. Mm-hmm. And the people talking to Kirk and encouraging him and telling them they're coming to Monaco specifically 
for the Monaco Brewing Company. They're coming to buy as much beer as they can. They're going to put on the T-shirts. They're going to cut them in half, you know, just to, to show off their, their Monaco beer bellies. And <laughs> these, those comments, honestly, I know they sustain you, but you have to know they sustain all the rest of us as well. Yes, um, they do. Doing great work, and and uh, we wish you all the best this weekend, my friend. Uh, we got to go. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks, Kristen, and uh, thank you for joining us up at the cabin. Come on back up north next week. Mm-hmm.